spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Black woman. Beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? It's been good. I really can't complain. There's a lot that went on this weekend, but I can't and I won't talk about it. But all I can say is, you know, when you put things that happen to you into perspective, right, you always have to realize the bigger picture and how you look and move in that bigger picture. And so this weekend has been a very trying time for me and my family. But the fact that I am in a profession that allows me to experience some of the most precious moments as well as the hardest moments of some people's lives, it humbles me. And so when I look at things that people go through and they complain about, I'm always like, but I just had to tell somebody that their baby is not going to survive. Or I just had to tell somebody their husband's, you know, their their wife's going to be on the vent for a long period of time. And so it humbles me and it makes things not be as catastrophic as other people would make them be. So for that, I am very blessed um, that I have that perspective. And so I can say it's all right. It's been an all right weekend. Perspective is important. I think that that's one of the things that I think that we all should remind ourselves of is that, you know, we often hear that that someone always has it worse off than we do. And I don't think that we actually internalize that and realize that we really do, for the most part, have first world problems, right? Like they're not life or death problems. They're not problems that are going to change our lives forever. They're just something that causes us to have, you know, maybe a temporary setback, but we get through it. And another day that we have a chance to rectify the issues that we're dealing with is another opportunity for us to be grateful. And I think that that's something that we all need to remind ourselves of. And there are tough moments in life, right? Like there are things that we don't want to experience and we don't necessarily think are fair, but at the same time, we have to remember that at the end of the day, it's all going to come together and everything happens for a reason. And what is the saying? Every delay is not a denial, but, you know, not yet 
is an answer too, right? Like God gives us answers. It's yes, no, or not yet. Or I have something better. So I get it, you know, and I, you know, I never want to see you or your family go through a difficult time, but I think that that the way that you're handling this and I think that the the message that you are internalizing and sharing with everyone else is really important that perspective is is important and we have to be grateful and open-minded to the things that we don't want to necessarily experience the same way that we're grateful for the things that we pray and ask God for so I think that's important I definitely agree I mean at the end of the day if ain't nobody going cold, hungry, ain't nobody dying, ain't nobody in the hospital, ain't nobody, you know, health is important. Okay. Those type of things are important. Health, safety, you know, clothing, housing, like if those things aren't affected, then, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. So because of that, I'm going to go on and live my fabulous life and my family is going to go on and live our fabulous lives. And we're going to continue to make strides in 2022. So, I, I, hey, listen, one monkey don't stop no show. We going to keep it moving. We going to be all right. No, I agree. And I think I've, I literally think that I've said that like four or five times this week. I think this week has been one of those weird weeks. But I, re- I distinctly recall saying this to one of my coworkers saying like, you know what? It's not what we wanted. It's not how we expected it. But one monkey don't stop a show. And it's not, it hasn't for the 38 years I've been alive and I don't want it to start now. So look, it's a weird space that we're in. I feel like it's a weird time that we're in. And I think that the the thing that we can always remember is that there is another side to every coin, right? Like we are, we tend to focus on the bad side, but there's always another side. So I just, you know. Again, never want to see anything bad happen or hear any bad experience. But I think it's important for us to remember that we're still, as the old folks used to say, in the land of the living. So we have another opportunity to make something different. That part. So, Janine, what did you do this week and this weekend? Um, I did a lot, actually. And the first thing, of course, I always want to say is, like, I worked a lot, right? Which I did. But I don't remember if... I think that we talked about my um, food, like I think it's called Everly Well or Everwell or I can never remember the name of it, but I feel like it's called Everly Well. And the food sensitivity test that um, my best friend gave me for Christmas, I got the results back and I have been trying to modify my diet based on the results. But let me tell you something that I've realized. And this kind of goes back to exactly what, what you were saying earlier. Like I kept telling Ken, I was like, I can't eat anything. Like I can't eat anything. There are 22 things I'm allergic to. And it's just, I I just can't eat anything. And Ken said, yeah, Janine, but there's 78 things that you're not allergic to. And that's just on this test. And I had to remind myself that there are 78 things that I'm not allergic to and some more, I'm sure, but there's 78 things. And I kept focusing on this 22. I'm like this 22 things that I just cannot eat. And They were some difficult things. Like I'm allergic to chicken. I'm also allergic to yeast. So, you know, there are are a lot of things that Janine will be cutting out of her diet. But I have to remember that I'm, you know, there are other things that I can eat and there are other things that I can, you know, experiment because there are a lot of things that I haven't even 
attempted to eat because didn't know they really existed, to be very honest with you. But it was hard. And it was a delayed process for me. It was like, oh, well, don't pay attention to it yet. But I'm trying to do better, as we discussed, with my health. And I literally sat and combed through it and looked at the things that I could and couldn't eat. And I've been very cognizant of what I'm placing into my body now because I don't want to constantly be sick. And if it's something that I can do to avoid being sick, I would like to actively work to avoid being sick. And before you even remind me, I am taking the results of my food sensitivity test to my doctor's appointment tomorrow. So the plan is for me to be linked with a nutritionist and a GI doctor. And hopefully we will turn this few years of like poor health around pretty quickly now that we have the information. So that's, I think, probably the most important thing that I did this week. But, you know, all the normal stuff happened too. Well, I'm glad that you are going to the doctor because I could have sworn somebody didn't answer a phone twice this week. So that means that you are feeling better. I'm glad that you are taking your food sensitivity test to the doctor because those things are important. It's nice to know, you know, you're giving them like the answers to the test. Like, hey, listen, this is what I'm allergic to. Tell me why. So um, that is a good first step for them to um, to go off of and to avoid those things that you're allergic to. So you won't, you know, have GI issues and abdominal cramping and vomiting and, you know, those type of things is really important. I just want to get a grasp on your GI tract. I want to just take it out and say, hey, what's wrong with you? And then put it back inside Mm -hmm. because you've been dealing with this for some time now. So hopefully you get some answers soon. So, Janine, what's on your timeline this week? So this one is actually kind of sad, but I think that we really need to address it because it has literally taken over both our IG timeline and our Twitter timeline. So we're going to talk about it. Shortly before 1 a.m. on March 21st, 21-year-old Jayana Tanae Webb was pulled over by Pennsylvania state troopers on suspicion of driving under the influence. At approximately 12.45 a.m., the state troopers cut the traffic stop short after dispatch reported a pedestrian in southbound lanes of I-95 in Philadelphia, close to Lincoln Financial Field. Either during or after this traffic stop, at approximately 12.47 a.m., according to the timestamp on Twitter, Jayana tweeted saying, quote, why the cops pull me? And he said, I'm doing 110 in a 50. Following this tweet, were crying, laughing emojis. Moments later, at approximately 12.50 a.m., dispatch received a call of what would then be a fatal crash. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, Jayana Webb was allegedly trying to pass the same state troopers that had pulled her over in her vehicle and the stopped traffic that the state troopers had stopped because of the pedestrian that was on the highway and struck both the state troopers and the pedestrian at a high rate of speed, throwing them into oncoming traffic. State Troopers Martin Mack III and Brandon Siska, as well as pedestrian Reyes Rivera Oliveras, were thrown into oncoming traffic 
and unfortunately pronounced dead on the scene. Jayana Webb did not flee. She stayed on the scene of the crash, admitted to subsequent responding officers that she had been drinking strawberry Hennessy prior to the crash that evening. When tested, her blood alcohol content was reported to be more than twice the legal limit. Just this past Tuesday, March the 22nd, Jayana appeared in court and was charged with third-degree murder, homicide by vehicle, driving under the influence, manslaughter of a law enforcement officer, and other related charges. But despite her lawyer's attempt to state that she was not a flight risk, nor was she a danger to society, and request for Jayana to be put on house arrest, she was denied bail and will remain in jail until her expected hearing on April the 5th. Now, Nicole, you may be wondering, like, why am I bringing this up? Aside from the fact that it's been on our timeline, this case is not on our timeline because people are reporting what happened. It's more on our timeline because the internet has kind of taken sides on this situation. So one side of the internet believes that since the announcement of Jana's not receiving bail, that she should have received bail and should have been placed on house arrest because she's, quote, young and she still has a life to live. Other people on the other side of this divide are saying that this third degree murder, manslaughter and other related charges is literally a slap on the wrist. And they're suggesting that law enforcement throws the book at her. So based on her social history, to me, it seems that Jayana had a drinking problem long before this incident. And this incident was merely a result of a series of terrible decisions. In addition to the now deleted tweet moments before the crash about her being pulled over going 110 in a 50, she has several tweets where she's bragging about either drinking and or drinking and driving. So I actually scrolled through her social media and several of these tweets have actually been deleted since she made them. But the first tweet that I saw, and, you know, with the help of Twitter, as I should say, was from January 15th, 2022. That's just this past January. And it says, from her account, it says, if you ask me, I'm the best drunk driver ever. Now, Nicole, I don't know about you, but this to me is kind of like, people brandishing weapons on the internet or taking images of themselves participating in other illegal activity. I'm not exactly sure why one, you would say that you're the best drunk driver ever, or two, you would post it on a social media platform. But again, she's 21. She's young. People make bad decisions all the time. In addition to that, She's posted some other tweets that say, I'm still drunk. This is sad. That liquor kicked my ass yesterday. I mean, literally, the majority of her tweets are about her drinking. The day before, at 4.09 a.m., she tweeted, I'm thinking Kelly drive up right now. Now, if you don't know 
or have never been to Philadelphia, Kelly Drive is one of those roads that you probably should pay attention between potholes, the the curve of the drive, you know, the way that you could literally either end up on one side in a in the Schuylkill River or the other side in some rocks. You know, it's probably not something that you want to quote off, right? So a lot of her tweets are kind of displaying this fast and free lifestyle she seems to be living, right? Also, she talks about how hungover she's, she is often. She talks about how she really likes to drink. I mean, if you look at her Twitter page, you would probably assume that she's an alcoholic. Not going to put that on her. But if you are going based on her tweets, yeah, you would, you would probably think that. But there's some tweets that she makes that kind of make you think that she probably knows that she has a problem. One of the tweets that she made just in the beginning of March, she says, I'm drunk. Don't be me. It's kind of like maybe she's torn. But at 21, do you really know? So while I think that it's sad that four lives were taken in this particular incident, the state troopers, the pedestrian, and Miss Webb's life itself, I think that there's no circumstance where drinking and driving is acceptable. And while it is very sad that she's so young and she probably will spend a significant time in jail, I think that it's more sad that three men will not go home to their families because of the decisions that she made the morning of the 21st. And I think that she needs to be held accountable for her actions. What do you think, Nicole? I say put her under the jail. I mean, my thing is, I don't care how old you are unless you are literally like a baby, like a kid. And I mean, you didn't know better. And then even in that instance, I would say, okay, get your, you know, you need to go to juvie because you need some rehabilitation because you need to be taught um, that there are rules that must be followed. But if you're an adult, I don't care if you are young and you have the rest of your life to live. If you're an adult, you should know better. And you know that drinking and driving is wrong. Even if nobody's personally told you, there are ads that drinking and driving is wrong. You have the knowledge that drinking and driving is wrong. And you know that you're going to be uninhibited when you are drunk. Therefore, you won't be following rules or you won't be alert enough to follow rules, which can be harmful. And this person needs to learn a lesson and they need to understand that they are a danger. Letting this person get a slap on the hand so they can live their, the rest of their lives would be an insult to the families that whose lives were taken. I mean, she's young. She's to live her life. What about the two state troopers and the pedestrian that she killed? They don't have lives to live. Their families do not have them to support them anymore. So you can't say, oh, she has the rest of her life to, to live. The other three people did too. And now they their lives are cut short. And guess what? Somebody has to pay because somebody was at fault. This was not an accident. This was not an accident. She defied authority. She defied the rules. She went above the law and she decided to speed up and hit these people. Listen, you made your bed, you lay in it. You should have thought about that before you did what you did. I said what I said. I don't care 
who it is. And even if it was if it was my child that was drinking and driving and hit somebody, I would tell him, you have got to suffer the consequences. You have got to pay for your actions. Now, my child, you know, I'm going to teach him right from wrong. But, you know, sometimes you do the best you can as a parent and your child still makes mistakes. Everybody makes a mistake. This to me doesn't seem like a simple mistake, though. This doesn't seem like I accidentally hit somebody and I'm showing remorse. This seems like I was drunk. Uh, you know, I know I drink and drive often. This is the time that I drunk and drive and just happen to kill some people. That's what this seems like to me. Absolutely. And it seems almost as if, you know, I hate to say this, but it seems almost as if she's bragging. I mean, we can go back to messages in that she tweeted in 2021 and not for nothing, but was she old enough to drink at that point? It seems that a lot of her activity, at least based on social media, is centered around her drinking. And here's the thing. If you like to drink, I'm not saying that there's a problem with the drinking, right? It is the subsequent behavior after the drinking that we are concerned about. There's no reason why you need to drink and drive. Never. There's never a reason for you to drink and drive. There's Uber. I mean, it's a major city. It's Philadelphia. I used to live there, right? There's plenty of public transportation. There's Uber. There's taxis. There's Lyft. There are all kinds of ride-sharing things. And honestly, for the most part, they're safe rides. Like, you do not need to drive drunk under any circumstance. Doesn't make sense to me. And then to brag about it, it's almost like, a slap in the face. And again, like you said, Nicole, I think that, yeah, it's sad that she's going to probably lose a large portion of her life to being incarcerated. However, these men won't come home. One of the the wives of the, the trooper that passed away is pregnant. That child will never know their father. It's it's extremely, extremely sad. But these are the kinds of things that we really need to consider when we think, oh, we're just running around the corner. We can make it. That's not true. You never know what's going to happen. Because I would like to think that her sober mind, seeing a bunch of stopped vehicles, would know maybe I shouldn't go around the, the this line of stopped vehicles. Or maybe I shouldn't drive at a high rate of speed on the shoulder of the road. Or maybe... I shouldn't even be driving at a high rate of speed, especially after I just got stopped for it. And the irony of the the fact that the troopers who stopped her just moments before and ended up having to cut the traffic stop short because there was a report that a pedestrian was walking on the highway were the same troopers that she ended up killing with her vehicle. It's just heartbreaking. It's the most heartbreaking thing because it just could have been avoided. And Avoidable death, I think, is the most frustrating kind of death, right? It's not something that you, one, expect, but it's also something that you're like, why? Just why? It's so unnecessary. And honestly, it sucks that she's 21. It sucks that she's going to have to go to prison. All of it sucks. The whole situation sucks. But when you make poor decisions, you have to live with the consequences. And unfortunately, I know that on social media, this has kind of come down to, and sadly, it's kind of come down to racial lines. It seems like 
you know, a lot of black people are saying like, oh, you know, she's black. You, we have to support her. But it's like, no, she killed people. That's just what it is. Like, the reality is she killed people. Sorry. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, purple. You kill people. I can't ride out with that one. I just can't. You know, I hate that about, you know, black Twitter or black social media. It's like we we go hard when we need to go hard, which I can appreciate. But it's almost like we try to draw this line in the sand. Like anytime a black person gets in trouble, we are going to come to that black person's aid, even if they are dead wrong. There's always going to be like, oh, she's black, so she's getting a harsher sentence. She killed three people. She killed three people and she is getting a third degree murder charge, which is a light charge. Okay. She killed three people. We're forgetting about that. It don't matter what color she is. We have got to be able as a community to say right is right and wrong is wrong. And for some reason, anytime somebody does wrong, we can't say they did wrong. We're always like, oh, they're being harsh on her because she's black. Well, y'all, actually, it don't look like they're being that harsh on her, okay? I'm just saying. I agree. I agree. I love our people, but I I want us to do better. I really want us to do better. And honestly, I think that, you know, we hate to make an example out of a 21-year-old girl, but maybe this is, like, maybe she's able to turn this around and maybe she's able to be an advocate for getting help. You know, who knows? You There is always, as we stated, and you never know why these things happen, right? As we stated at the beginning of this episode, you never know why things happen. And for her, honestly, this is a first world problem, right? She's not going to get the death sentence, death penalty. She's not going to be in jail for the rest of her life because as you stated, Nicole, she got third degree murder. It wasn't first or second degree murder and manslaughter, Right. So she's probably not going to be in prison for a long period of time. Longer than I'm sure she would like to be, but probably not too long. It could be worse, but I hope and pray for her sake and for the sakes of the families that, that, you know, this incident has ruined that she's able to pivot and turn this into a positive experience where she can then be an advocate for not drinking and driving and an advocate for seeking help when you do have a, a drinking problem or any substance abuse problem. So hopefully she's able to turn this around and this will be a life-changing moment for her in a positive manner. I really hope so. So you ready to talk through some of these letters from our listeners? Let's do it. Okay, so the first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, I have a friend, Olivia, who thinks it's cute to have one too many drinks. She says it gives her, quote, liquid courage. We're both nurses and she's the youngest amongst our crew of friends. She and I became close because her older sister and I were college roommates. After practicing as a nurse for several years, I was thrilled when she came to me for mentorship because she too wanted to be a nurse. When her sister died a little over a year ago, the bond between Olivia and I grew closer. I made an extra effort to have her back. However, lately, when we have been with friends, she becomes belligerent, often arguing with people in restaurants and even fighting a guy. I will say the guy was rude and offensive with sexual comments, but that's still not a reason for her to fight him. Frankly, it's becoming quite embarrassing. I always have to take her keys if we go out and bring her home. I really wonder if she acts this way around 
other people when I'm not there or if other people just ignore her. What should I do to show Olivia that her actions are dangerous? I don't want her to get hurt. Sincerely, Cheryl. I will say this. Having grown up in a family where members of my family suffered with alcoholism, I have to say this. And this is the catch-22 with any substance abuse issue. There is nothing that you can do to a person or say to a person or do for a person to convince them that they need to change their behavior. They have to get to the point where they're ready to change their behavior. And it seems like, based on the letter, that her sister passed away and she seems to be getting drunk and belligerent, that there's a much more deep-seated issue here than the fact that she's getting drunk and belligerent when you all go out with friends. Olivia needs help. And Olivia needs the kind of help that probably comes from an AA meeting or a rehabilitation center. I don't want you, Cheryl, to take this on as your responsibility. You are a dear friend and a a dear mentor, and you are doing your best to help her. Maybe when you all hang out, you suggest that you not go to places or do things that could potentially turn into her getting drunk. Maybe you think of some alternatives of things to do so that you all can hang out and have a good time without her being intoxicated. And you'll see if she really has a problem then, right? If you all are, if you are actively seeking activities that will not allow her to get drunk and somehow she still manages to get intoxicated, you then have your confirmation that she has a problem. If you still need confirmation, because based on the letter to me, I think that you can pretty much gather that she has a a drinking problem, right? So I say be there and be supportive, but make sure that you're not enabling her to continue to have this drinking problem. Because if you all are going out to hang out at bars or restaurants and having a couple, two, three, four, five drinks, and she's becoming drunk and belligerent, then you're enabling her. Because if she goes to do it by herself and you're just coming to pick her up, that's a different story. But let's try not to enable her. And if she continues along this path and you don't feel comfortable, don't feel guilty removing yourself from the situation. Because while you are her friend and her mentor, it is not your responsibility to babysit a grown person. She has to be responsible for her actions. And sometimes the only way that people change this kind of behavior is hitting rock bottom and letting rock bottom hit them back. Because truly, People can hit rock bottom, bounce back, and be just fine and continue on their same negligent behavior. If you're there to pick her up and pick her sloppy drunk self up every single time she gets herself into these situations, she's not really facing the consequences, right? Let her face the consequences. She does it enough times. She gets a DUI. God forbid she hurts or kills someone. God forbid she gets, you know, gets herself into a fight and gets beat up herself. We don't know what her rock bottom is going to be. But what we do know is it's very likely that she will have to hit it herself before she makes a change. I lived, I've lived this before. I have several friends. They call me grandma. Nicole, if you remember, the, the mom van was going to pick up drunk people at Xavier. But again, let me tell you, 
Sometimes it's just rock bottom. That's how I feel. What do you think, Nicole? I don't agree with him letting her hit rock bottom. I agree that she eventually will hit rock bottom, which is going to be an eye eye opening. But I do think that, you know, this baby got something going on. You know, she didn't lost her sister. I don't know how she lost her older sister, but her older sister didn't died. She is a nurse. So, you know, I know she's focused enough to get through the education and she's focused enough to get through the shifts, but she has to realize that she has a problem. And so for me, if you care about this person as a sister, because it looks like you are taking her on almost as your sister, I will first try to stay some type of intervention, like sit down with friends and family and say, Hey, do you guys think that this is a problem? Because this is what I think is going on. I think that we need to talk to her as a group. And if they agree that it's a problem, then we touch and agree and we take it to her and say, hey, listen, we love you. We care about you. The way you're going, you're going to get yourself killed. You can get somebody else killed. And so we think you need help. We think that you need help with your alcoholism. I mean, basically with your alcoholism. And we think that you need to start going to counseling and we think that you need to get help to get off of alcohol. Because let me tell you something about alcoholism. It's not like you can stop drinking cold turkey. Okay. It's not like prescription drugs or, you know, benzos like Ativan or something like that, that you can stop drinking. You know, alcohol withdrawal, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. So it's something you have to literally gradually take yourself off of or be in a treatment facility to get yourself some symptomatic treatment of withdrawal, meaning hydration and things like that, so that you are not dying of alcohol withdrawal. There have been several people, I know people that whose parents have been alcoholics and then they went cold turkey and died of alcoholism. So it's a real thing. So this person needs help, whether that is, you know, something inpatient or a a facility, a treatment facility, or whether that is something to, you know, make sure that they're getting checkups regularly, meaning an outpatient treatment, you know, to, to make sure they're not showing signs of withdrawal because alcohol is bad. You know, people think drugs are bad, like, oh, drugs are bad. No, alcohol is bad. Like you will die. You will die doing the right thing with alcohol. You try to stop cold turkey, you will die from alcohol withdrawal. So you really do have to, you know, almost gradually take yourself off or you have to uh, get some type of inpatient treatment if you if you really are a true alcoholic um, and you have alcohol abuse so that you are not dying from withdrawal. But I would say some type of intervention to let her know, hey, we all see this, okay? And this is a problem. And we want to be here to support you, but we can't stand by and do this. We are urging you to get some type of treatment now. I hear you. I would say like urging to get treatment is helpful. But Nicole, how, you and I both know that when people are alcoholics, you're talking to the substance. You're not talking to the person. And no matter how rational they might be when they're not drinking, when they're drinking, that same like like rational thought process isn't there. So sometimes it's, yeah, I might tell you that you need to get help, but do you actually get help until you realize that you need help? I think that's why I'm thinking 
that she probably needs to hit rock bottom because I'm pretty sure that she's probably been told before, especially if she's out drunk and belligerent, that she's probably been told before, like, hey, you need to get help, right? Maybe maybe she just needs to, like, maybe she hasn't realized it yet. But I don't think that it's it's fair to put that pressure on Cheryl to think that she can convince her to get help when clearly Olivia is pretty far down this rabbit hole of alcoholism. So wait a minute, we're not putting pressure on Cheryl. Cheryl, ask us what to do. So we're telling Cheryl, this is what we will do. So Cheryl has put the pressure already on herself when she took on that role of being a sister. Can Cheryl just sit there and let her hit rock bottom? Yeah, but let her hit rock bottom. I mean, she's killing herself or killing somebody else. And Cheryl has to be able to sleep with that at night. And I don't think Cheryl is going to be able to sleep well with that at night. Now, once you've done your piece, then you can say, I've done my little piece, okay? But the pressure isn't on Cheryl. The pressure is going to be on Olivia, okay? Because for a lot of people, once they're faced by their friends and family, their closest friends and family, that is rock bottom, okay? To say, hey, listen, I'm going to help you put in paperwork to, to get a leave of absence so you won't do something stupid like lose your job. And we're going to help you get in an inpatient facility. To me, sitting in an inpatient facility would be rock bottom, you know? So you don't really know how people are going to perceive their particular rock bottom. And if it's not and she's in denial, at least you can say, I tried. And and Cheryl, at the end of the day, if something does happen, you know, all you can do is when she's in your presence, try to still create safe spaces for her. But you're not her babysitter. You can't be with her at all times. And if she's in denial and she doesn't think she has a problem, even when it's in her face with all of her closest friends and family saying so, that's all you can do because you can't force somebody to get treatment. And if something happens, just realize it's not your fault, sweetie, and you did everything you could. So what's your letter, Janine? Okay, mine is a little different. It says, Nicole and Janine, my fiance and son's father regularly drives under the influence, sometimes with my son in the car. I know this because my son has told me he has never gotten into an accident, nor has he gotten pulled over, but it really bothers me. When I address it with him, he says that I'm just paranoid because of my grandmother's accident 15 years ago. My grandmother was hit by a drunk driver while walking home from the Acme grocery store and was almost paralyzed. I don't want to get my son's father arrested because I don't want my son to have to grow up without his father. How can I get him to stop drinking and driving without jeopardizing his freedom? I appreciate your advice. Signed, Sydney. Sydney sounds crazy, okay? Sydney, I think that you have a point that you don't want your son growing up without a father because if you arrested him, then that would be your son growing up without a father. But real talk, if you allow your fiance to continue to drive under the influence of alcohol, I know you're worried about your son growing up without a father, but realistically, you could be without your child and your baby daddy. So you're going to have to make some decisions because let me tell you something. If Harrison was getting in the car with my husband and my husband had any, just a beer, I'd be like, oh no, uh uh-uh. Because I've done too much to get this child here. 
You will not put my child in harm's way. I will put my foot down immediately and tell him, uh, you're going to have to get out of here because I will not, one, have to worry about whether you're going to get in a wreck or get in an accident or whether I'm going to have to go identify a body. And then two, I'm not going to worry about my child getting killed because my child's in the back seat and you're under the influence. So I will put my foot down. I, I, I don't play those kind of games when it comes to my child and neither should you. You are risking your child's life by allowing your child to get in the car with your fiance every single time. I don't care if it is his father. I would leave him. I'm telling you, I don't play about drugs and alcohol. I am not going to stay and enable somebody because that's what you're doing when you stay with somebody that is an alcoholic or addicted to a substance. You are enabling them. You're saying, I love and support you how you are. And I could not love and support somebody that was addicted to drugs or alcohol because it would be putting my life in danger and the life of my child in danger. I know that might be tough love, but sometimes the only way to show love is to give tough love. Okay, If you love your fiance, you will force him to get help. If you love your child, you will not allow your child to risk his life by getting in the back seat of his father's car every day. I said what I said. And I'm serious about this. We need to protect our children. And if something happens to that child, it is as much your fault as it is the father's fault. Nicole, I agree 100%. I think that the the most important thing to remember is, yeah, you don't want your son to grow up without a father, but he might grow up without a father or might not grow up at all because of this terrible behavior. So get over this idea of somehow turning your back on him. And you should be concerned about your fiance too, right? Like, do you really want to marry a man that clearly has a problem drinking? If you cannot not drink long enough to get your son to from point A to point B or to do the responsible thing as a father, I don't know, Sydney, you might want to reconsider if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. I'm not suggesting that you don't, and I'm with Nicole, like maybe you suggest that he get help or whatever, but I think that our priorities are a little messed up here. Our priorities shouldn't be his freedom, so to speak. Our priorities should be making sure that not only your son is safe and alive, but your fiance is safe and alive too, because we, I mean, literally from our timeline story, we see how this ends right? We see that it doesn't end well. Yeah, he hasn't gotten a DUI yet. Yeah, he hasn't gotten into an accident yet. But to my knowledge, neither had Ms. Ms. Webb before this horrific incident. So let's rethink our priorities. And the first priority should be the safety of your son. The second priority should be the safety of and the sobriety of your fiance. And then the third priority should be whether you want to spend the rest of your life with this person or not. And I think that the second and third priority are very closely tied. So, you know, take this information or take what we're saying as you wish. But I really think that there are much larger issues than your fiance's freedom, so to speak. Um, and again, the thing that you told us is you don't want your son to grow up without a father. If you don't address this situation, it's very likely that your son will do just that, is grow up without a father. And it's not going to be because he's in prison. It's probably going to be because 
he's six feet under. So please keep that in mind. And we hope that your son's father, your fiance, seeks help, becomes sober. And this is not an issue that you have to deal with anymore. I'm just thinking about the poor baby that's witnessing this and saying, daddy is driving drunk. I mean, what kind of psychological impact does that have on the child? I mean, you got your child seeing the father drinking and driving. And I don't know how the child's saying this, but if you know because the child is telling you, that's already too much for me, way too much for me. I agree. There's, and like I said, having grown up in a, a family where alcoholism was a thing, I think that there's so much going wrong here. And again, the first priority has to be your child. It has to be. All right, Janine, what did you learn new this week? So I learned that according to Insurify, which is basically like an insurance kind of website, that 12.7% of motorists or people who have driver's license, valid driver's license, have at least one DUI on their driving record. That's disturbing. I know that the 12% sounds low, but when you think about how many drivers there are, that 12.7%, almost 13% of people have a DUI on their driving record. It's really sad, especially since, you know, like most other criminals or most other crimes, I should say, it's completely avoidable. No need to drive drunk. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? All right. So what I learned, I learned two things. One, I learned while I was sitting here looking at third degree, um, third degree murder charges is that there, uh, the third degree murder is the least severe form of murder. And it only exists in three U.S. states, in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. I did not know that before today. And I also um, learned that a 2016 study that was done by Cardiff University uh, social scientist Simon Moore found that drinkers are more self-aware of their own level of intoxication when they are in the presence of those that are sober. As a result, we might be able to curb dangerous drinking habits just by encouraging the presence of a sober ambassador, quote unquote. That's actually really interesting. I would be interested to see if we, if there was like a program launched with sober ambassadors to see how it actually worked. Listen, people can pay me to be a sober ambassador. Listen, I'm the life of the party without a drink. Yep, I'll go in there and two-step with you and not have a drink and encourage you to to not drink as much. I sure will. Yeah, I I'm not the I'm not the sober ambassador. I'll drive you home. I'll be sober. But my patience is mad thin with that. I think the years of working in clubs and like mopping people off of the floor, I'm good. I don't, I don't want to be your sober ambassador. I'll make sure you get home safe, but I, I don't want to do it. Yeah, the point of the sober ambassador is so you feel like, hey, we having a party. And for everybody that can't see us, which is everybody, I'm doing my party <laughs> dance. Yeah, yeah, get it, get it, get it. That's the point of the sober something. ambassador. 
Let me tell you something. I believe that you would be amazing at this, Nicole. I just feel like at some point I would lose sight of the I'm supposed to be helping you party and just be looking at you like, oh, my God, why are we here? And what is going on? And why are you drunk? Because it's so it's so taxing on the sober person when everybody else is drunk. It just is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of it just. It, I don't know. I think in those moments, I feel like the, our listener, Cheryl, who wrote in, it just feels like a lot of pressure. I'm okay. Like I said, I'll make, I'll make sure you get home safely, but I can't have fun when other people are intoxicated. I feel you. So ready for the motivational moment? Yes, ma'am. And it reads, whether you're talking about getting sober from drugs or alcohol, taking on a new career or moving to a new place. All of these are new beginnings. There is no shame in beginning again, for you get a chance to build bigger and better than before. So go ahead and take that chance. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Yeah.